That one, year number four. It's a yank on the footy with Craig Wessels. Let's all sit back and enjoy a chat about the greatest game on the face of the earth. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 273 of A Yank on the Footy. I'm Craig Wessels, coming to you from Sandusky, Ohio, and, well, it's kind of an interesting day for me because it's a day that I uh, wasn't sure was ever going to arrive, but am pretty darned happy that it has arrived. Uh, today, I turned 60, and I am... Uh, quite frankly, ecstatic about being 60. I know a lot of people tend to get a little anxious when they change that first digit of their uh, age over to the next one. Now, to be completely fair, when and if I get the opportunity to do that again, when it changes to a 7, I might get a little bit more concerned about it. But at this point in time, I'm ecstatic about turning 60. And... Um, Kind of a strange reasoning behind that, but I, uh, I, you know, on my dad's side of the family, my grandfather passed away at age 69, uh, smoked and drank a great deal. My father passed away at 59 uh, in October of 2001, uh, drank and smoked and worked countless hours for Ford Motor Company. Uh, 49, quite frankly, scared the hell out of me. So once I reached that point and got past there and reached 50, I thought, okay, that's not so bad. I couldn't wait to turn 60 because that way I knew that I had surpassed his lifespan. Now, I don't smoke. I don't drink. Uh, if you've uh, followed me on Twitter, I did put a, uh, an image up there today that kind of shows uh, a headshot of present day me and me 22, 23 months ago. And uh, over 68 kilos ago as well, about 150 pounds here in the U.S. Um, I'm feeling pretty darn good. I'm not going to say I feel terrific, but I feel pretty darn good for somebody who's 60 and no longer weighs what I previously weighed. And I'm doing this, one, because it's the healthy, right thing for me to do. And I finally made a decision to do it. Had a little bit of a health scare a couple years ago. Uh, and I'm feeling pretty darn good. But again, I'm also hoping to make that trek to Australia uh, next footy season to go see some AFL footy, as well as hoping to see some local footy and visit some local footy clubs while I am in the country as well. Uh, it's why I'm working uh, as many hours as I am at a summer job uh, at the local amusement park. And uh, I've not been doing as many like review episodes of games as I would like to because I've not been able to watch every game over the last few weeks uh, since my summer job has begun. And uh, well, it's been it's it's been hectic, but it's also been I don't want to say it's an evil, but it's kind of a necessary evil because if if I want to get to Australia next year. I need to put some more money in the bank in order to be able to cover the cost of that. So that's why I am working. I've uh, I've now set aside about a third of my airline ticket so far. Uh, I do want to give uh, Tim Althred a, a huge uh, thank you. He um, 
put a post on Twitter, uh, made a contribution, actually made two contributions on uh, my Buy Me a Coffee page, uh, which I think one of them said, let's get uh, me to Australia to watch footy in person. So, Tim, I want to thank you for that, man. I, I truly appreciate that. It was, uh, it was most generous, and uh, I, I'm not... You know, if you want to, as I say in many episodes, if you want to help out the podcast, you can certainly do that uh, through the Buy Me a Coffee uh, page or through my Redbubble store page. I do have a couple of new items that are on there as well. Uh, one that I definitely want to get a uh, a shirt made up for myself. Uh, it's an Essendon supporter that uh, put a comment on Twitter a couple of months back that said, you have to be the coolest bloke in America. And I think I need to put that on a t-shirt, or at least a sweatshirt. So I get some great advertising for the podcast. But uh, enough about that. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm working, I'm walking the equivalent of about 60 to 65 kilometers each week at work at the amusement park. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a mindless job, but I'm enjoying it because I teach school. It's nice to have a job where I can just walk away at the end of the shift and know I'm done. I don't have papers to grade or lessons to plan, that type of thing. I'm traveling between the two different parking lots at the uh, at this amusement park, and I'm emptying trash cans. Now, I have two bachelor's degrees and a master's degree, and I'm not above doing that sort of thing. I I I like the mindless aspect of it. I think it's it's an it's a nice way to just get through the day, and they're paying me to get my steps in to do a lot of walking. So that's it's a win-win. I'm busting my butt for them. And they're paying me to get my steps in. So it's, it's working out for both of us. Um, I've seen a few too many snakes because we have a lot of water snakes here in uh, Sandusky along the, uh, the, the lake shore. I've seen lots and lots of them. They're harmless. They're big, but they're harmless. Uh, but still not a huge fan of snakes. Not, not deathly afraid of them like my father was, however. So again, enough about that. Let's move on to episode 273. I am absolutely stoked to be bringing this discussion with you. I sat down a couple of weeks ago with the legendary Cole Hutchinson, who spent over two decades as the official historian of the VFL and AFL. Uh, just a great storyteller. I cannot thank Barry Cheatley enough, the uh, North Melbourne legend, for putting me in touch with Mr. Hutchinson. Barry, I tip my cap to you, fine sir, uh, for this. I truly, truly appreciate it. Now, folks, don't forget that if you want to get your local footy club getting a shout-out during an upcoming episode, drop me an email at yankonthefootygmail.com. Reach out on any of my socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can find me on LinkedIn as well. I do spend a lot of my time on Twitter, at yank underscore on, or over on uh, Facebook. Uh, you can find me, Craig Wessels, or Yank on the Footy Podcast as well. And today's club of the episode... Today's club of the episode are the East Geelong Eagles of the Geelong District Football League. And the Eagles were formed back in 1879, and they play their games at the Richmond Oval in East Geelong. Which I find interesting because there's actually something Richmond-related that it's made its way to Geelong. They even named an oval after them. You see how, see how interesting that is? Richmond in Geelong. Richmond in Geelong. See, it can happen. Now, it's not going to happen, but it can happen. Yes, one last little dig at the, uh, at the Tigers there and uh, the difficulty of finding their way down the M1. Now, based on what I've been able to ascertain from their website, the club has won at different levels of footy uh, 34 different premierships throughout their history, including their reserve side winning last year in 2022. 
Now, this Saturday, the club travels to the Oswide Plumbing and Civil Oval to face off against Corio. And later that evening, the club is hosting their EGFNC ball upstairs at the West End with entertainment by Just James. Uh, I believe tickets would have already had to been purchased by now, but they're going to have a uh, full drink menu and canapes and that sort of thing. It sounds like a grand time. Uh, I do also want to give a quick shout out to a couple of Eagles juniors, Levi Hayes and Abel Foley, for reaching 50 games uh, in a game a couple of weeks ago. And I want to wish the Eagles the absolute best of luck the rest of the way through 2023. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and jump into my chat with Cole Hutchinson. Just an absolutely fascinating gentleman, and I'm so glad that I was able to sit down and talk with him. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am beyond thrilled to have my guest with me today. Uh, he is an absolute legend in the world of Australian rules football. He spent over 20 years as the official historian of the VFL, AFL. And I think I can safely say that between 1963 and 2019, you knew exactly where he was on at least 22 or 23 specific days of each one of those years. I am absolutely thrilled to welcome Cole Hutchinson to the podcast. Thank you, sir, for uh, coming on today. I appreciate it. I, appre I appreciate it, too. I'm sure we'll enjoy our conversation. Yes. I mean, we, we've had a great talk off air already beforehand. And, you know, you gave me a couple of, uh, of wonderful stories. You know, we were talking about... Uh, a uh, dear gentleman, uh, Barry Cheatley, a little bit there. Um, and, uh, you know, Barry, if, if you're listening, uh, he did mention something about the blue in the race, which, uh, I mean, did, did people actually come to blows at the end of this game that you were referencing? They did indeed. The poor <laughs> North Melbourne coach finished up with a blood nose and it was administered by a Geelong player at the time who was an off-duty policeman. Oh, wow. Wow. So did he go on duty and then arrest himself? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, there were oh, threats and... by um, various North Melbourne people uh, to report him uh, to um, the police administration to have him sacked, but that didn't happen. Wow. That, I mean, it, and that that is that is something that the, you know, the, the game has certainly changed you know that since you've been watching it in your lifetime and I, i've seen footage you know, somebody sent me a links to uh some footage of neil balm the other day uh when he's playing with the tigers and just quite frankly just turning around and punching somebody's lights out during the course of the game and it's like what i didn't do anything uh and it's 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 amazing that the game was like that and is is the kind of the little pushing and shoving that happens before the first bounce or you know after a goal is scored is, is that kind of the the residue of that kind of contact because you know that certain that certain type of thing would not stand at all anymore but are those little pushes and shoves kind of what we have now as a result of that or in place of it partly i i would say that is the case and also the the, the pushing and shoving as you've just described it is just um designed to try to put the um, player off his game and uh, to make him or to try to make him lose concentration. Okay. And talking about Neil, talking about Neil Baum, uh, the um, classic case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Off the field, <laughs> you, you wouldn't find a gentler soul. Mm -hmm. uh, once he crossed the white line, it was a different story. Well, that's – and – 
and I guess I, 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 this is something that I, when I, and I've talked to, and I've talked to many more players who played in the 1960s and 1970s and that sort of thing that I have present day players. In fact, I, I got, I got the, the, the three cats that were drafted from the Geelong Falcons last year. I got them in a little bit of hot water because I reached out to them on social media and they came on the podcast all at the same time. And I had somebody from the cats front office reach out to me like, how did you get in touch with them? And I said, well, I just reached out to them on social media. And they're like, oh, they can't do that. They, we need to talk to them about that. <laughs> they're not allowed to do that. But, you know, I've not talked to a lot of present day players, but it's, it's, is, uh, I, I, you know, you have to wonder that, you know, while you may have had, you know, the, the, the players from Richmond and, and Hawthorne and well, maybe not Geelong so much, but especially the ones that are, that were in Melbourne, some of these people had to have worked jobs where they were working side by side with one another, but were playing on different clubs. There had to be some sort of instance where that clash, you know, carried over into the real job, if you will. Absolutely. A classic example of that was the legendary Collingwood coach, Jock McHale, who was a foreman at um, what is now Carlton and United Brewery in Melbourne. Okay. And many many of uh, the people um, uh, uh, who worked under him were league footballers from various clubs. And there was a classic situation in uh, 1938 when Carlton and Collingwood were due to play in the grand final. Uh-huh. And, and Jock had some Carlton players uh, under his control at the brewery. Uh-oh. And he deliberately put them on night shift on the Uh-oh. Friday <laughs> prior to the grand final. <laughs> but, but, but the whole move backfired because uh, the Blues were too good for the Magpies that day. Okay. Well, I, I didn't know if maybe he put them on the night shift and had them uh, work as taste testers. Quality control. <laughs> <laughs> they, wouldn't, they wouldn't have taken much encouragement to do that, no doubt. <laughs> that just... That makes I mean I, I can, makes complete sense that they would have that he would have tr- that he did that and 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 fortunately for Carlton that that worked out into the, to their benefit but you know before we get into you know talking a little bit more about footy I want to go all the way back to you know early in your career because is I mentioned the off air I I've been a school teacher for now going on thirty years but you began your professional career as best I can tell as a school teacher and. Tell us about your time as a teacher, because I, I love hearing the stories about people who got involved and made the decision to get involved in that profession. Yes, well, I started my career as a teacher in 1964, uh, teaching in a number of country schools around uh, Victoria, mm-hmm. and uh, then settled into uh, a role uh, at the Heighton Primary School in the Geelong region, and uh, was there for nearly 20 years in that situation and had the pleasure of actually teaching some children of then-current Geelong players. Outstanding. So Ken Newland and Wayne Kloster had children at the school, and uh, I um, uh, took delight in uh, staying in regular contact with them. And then it was when I became the uh, match day statistician at Geelong Footy Club in 1975, when Polly Farmer was coaching there, mm-hmm. that I started taking a real interest in the history side of things as well as gathering match stats uh, on uh, Saturdays. Oh. Uh, 
and that um, I was sort of conducting the two roles. Uh, that role at Geelong at weekends and even at training nights, mm-hmm. as well as doing the teaching. And then out of the blue in um, 1992, I received a call from um, one of the key administrators at the league asking if I would be interested in taking on the role full-time as the uh, as the AFL statistician and historian. So I immediately resigned from teaching and took that up. Well, it's that had to be, you know, that had to be, you know, a a tough decision giving up something that you loved, but you were also going to something that you loved just as much, and and you know, it had become a a more recent passion with you as well. But that's how do you as the as the historian how do you go about compiling all of that information did you did you then set up directives that you sent out to all of the different clubs that said you know you know provide me with xyz in terms of information and and send that to me in triplicate or that sort of thing or how did you go about compiling all of these things well in 1992 when i first worked at the league they had very little background information on the history of the game and players. Mm-hmm. They were just uh, the bare bones of it. And much of the information that had been recorded had been in, been um, recorded inaccurately. So um, one of my tasks was to try to encourage the league to set up a proper database, and that took some years before that actually happened, but we eventually got that underway. And I established a network I don't know whether you've ever heard of um, the organisation which is called the Australian Football Heritage Group, which consists of um, historians in Australian football, specifically uh, the 18 club historians, okay. together with an umpire's historian, someone who's interested in country football in Victoria, uh, someone who has a similar interest in each of the other states. Okay. And um, with uh, that was the basis for the networking, where the historians of the clubs were able to sort of go back through um, uh, newspapers online to gather information and look at the old minute books of their own clubs to correct a lot of the inaccurate information that had previously been recorded. Okay. And uh, so that sort of culminated in the, um, the records that we have today. Craig, you may be aware of um, a website called AFL Tables. I well, I use that. Across? I use that one all of the time. Yes, I okay. when I do club previews, I I will use that one to do to create like trivia questions for the when I have a supporter from you know the Cats or from Adelaide or whatever to come on. I'll I'll use that to to find um, questions that I ask in like a little fun trivia set of trivia questions for the for that that supporter from that particular club. Yep. Yes. So even though it has the AFL title, it mm-hmm. isn't controlled by the league in any way. But um, I I uh, cooperate with uh, that organisation to uh, to help them maintain the records. Okay. And the AustralianFootball.com website. Oh, I'm very familiar with this one. That the very colourful one up at the top. Yeah. This is okay. I didn't realise that this was the Heritage Group that did this, but that makes complete sense. Yeah. Oh, I've I've been on. I've had this this site bookmarked for for seven years now. I use this one all the time. Yes, it's it's have a you, wonderful site. Are you aware of 
Rhett Bartlett, the son of uh, the great Richmond player Kevin Bartlett? Uh, I He's, have not. I don't think I've heard that name before. He has a um, webs or he controls the Richmond website uh, that has a historic comment um, content. Okay. Uh, it's called Tigerland Archive. And he has a lot to do with um, AFL tables and some of the other websites in helping them gather information. So, how you know, once you got this position, how long did it take before you were able to put all of the data into a position where you were satisfied that you had accurate information now that you could put that out there with confidence that? this is what actually happened in the history of our game. Uh, we would be going back to the early 2000s, probably mm -hmm. about 2002 or three, that we eventually um, were able to put into place a, um, an adequate database. However, I must emphasise that we're improving the amount of information and the accuracy of some of the information all the time. Mm -hmm. There's always something extra coming up. A good example of that relates to the great Captain Blood, Jack Dyer, the great Tigers player of the night. So uh, you'd know what impact he's had on football. And um, Rhett Bartlett made a discovery about um, some inaccurate information about one of Jack's supposed matches back mm -hmm. in 1935 from memory where um, the, uh, all the records indicated that Jack had played in this particular match. But we found a small newspaper item that highlighted the fact that Jack, after being selected in this particular match at Punt Road Oval, uh, took the field and was doing what we'd call the warm-up. Right. One of the trainers came out to him and said, um, Jack, we've just had a phone call from a member of your family saying that someone at home is quite ill. And Jack made the immediate decision not to play. Okay. So he, he ran from the field and quickly organised for someone to take his place in the selected team, and he went home. But all the newspapers except one hadn't picked up the fact that he wasn't playing. Wow. So we've had, we had to remove a match from his career total. Okay. So taking it back from two, two, 312 to 311. Okay. So there are also all sorts of things like that always occurring oh. uh, where uh, little mi minor changes like that need to be made from yeah. time to time. Well, I thought I thought you were going to tell me that he ended up having to leave to go work the night shift at the Carlton Brewery. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, dear, dear. Yeah, well, he certainly didn't mind a drop of beer. That's for sure. <laughs> so, you know, you you have spent a lifetime being a a cats supporter, not a Pivotonian supporter, but uh, you know which, uh, as you mentioned off air, that that was the uh, the the name that they had until 1923, I believe you said. So a hundred years ago, that name changed. Um, but uh, which you know we were talking, you know, we were talking about that that being the same year that Vegemite was introduced as well. Um, but you know, you you have this streak which we're going to talk about, which began in 1963. But you did not go to your first Geelong game in 1963. You were going to games prior to that, correct? 
Yes. Yeah. Okay. In fact, so I would have been taken. Go ahead. I would have been taken to my first uh, game by my parents, who moved into the Geelong area when I was a three-year-old. Mm-hmm. And I remember them telling me that they used to take me to the footy in those days, uh, but I would take no interest at all in the game. All I would be interested in doing would be to go and buy a hot dog, or play chasing with the kids, um, uh, and not watch the footy. Well, uh, and so that that um, pattern continued for a number of years until I was about um, twelve or thirteen, and then just by accident, suddenly took an interest in um, footy and the cats in particular, and uh, so I started a sequence of going to every home game in Geelong mm-hmm. from uh, early in the nineteen fifty eight season until nineteen sixty three before I um, started the sequence of all matches. Well, and that was that was a little bit easier to do when it was still the VFL because you were you were not it was not a terribly long drive to get you know to get to the parks in Melbourne. Correct, that's yeah. right. Even even though even though you know for some reason Collingwood and Richmond can never seem to find their way to Geelong anymore. Uh, <laughs> yes, it's yeah I. That that's and I and I've I've learned to accept it, but it's the one thing that my American brain has had a hard time wrapping my head around is the cats playing a home game or playing multiple home games at the opponent's park. That's <laughs> that sort of thing. If, if I've I've joked and I don't know how much you may know about the NFL, but uh I, I've joked, I said, you know, that if 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 you had told the the Philadelphia Eagles fans that since the New York Giants football stadium was larger, the Eagles were going to go play, have to go play their home game at the Giants stadium in New Jersey, right across from across the river. And I, I've joked, I said, Eagle supporters would go to New Jersey and burn down the stadium so they could still play their game at home. It, they just, they wouldn't, they would never stand for that. I mean, now I've learned to accept that, but it's, it's just that one of those things that just, you know, it it is mind-boggling still to this day. But uh, did you are you aware that Geelong played a home game against Carlton at the Sydney Cricket Ground in nineteen hundred and three? I I had no idea about that. No, I, first of all, I didn't realize that the SCG was that old. But I guess looking at some of the structures there, it kind of makes sense. So the circumstances were that. Uh, Carlton was scheduled to play Geelong in Geelong mm-hmm. early in the 1903 season. And the Carlton team was travelling by train down to Geelong. And about halfway through the journey, the train suddenly came to a halt and didn't move. And the Carlton players and officials were wondering what's going on here. Is the train broken down or what's happened? So eventually they made contact with the con- conductor. Mm-hmm. who stated that the railway crew had decided to have a snap strike. So the players weren't going to be taken any further down the track. So the match had to be um, postponed, obviously. Mm-hmm. So no match in Geelong. And the league then had the quandary, well, how are we going to uh, refixture this match on a different date? And when they went to do that, they found that the um, Geelong home ground had been pre-booked for the season for local matches, etc. So there was no chance of them playing the match in Geelong mm-hmm. during the home and away season later on. 
So the league decided that uh, to promote the game, they would reschedule it to be played in Sydney. And so that's what happened. Geelong versus Carlton in Sydney, 1903, in front of um, oh, about ten to 12,000 people. And uh, that was... Um, that was how it all unfolded. By by that point in time, was Sydney a a hotbed for rugby? And I'm not I'm not that familiar with the history of rugby. But was rugby prevalent at that point in time? Well, the the rugby league competition was first properly organised in 1908, just a handful of years after that. Okay, but it certainly was starting to um, establish itself in Sydney at that stage. Yes, and it's interesting that the travel arrangements. Carlton travelled by ship to Sydney and Geelong travelled by train. And um, I know Geelong played a couple of exhibition matches against country teams on the way up and also on okay. the way back. Okay. And and, Sid, and uh, Carlton did not have that luxury because there it was not that big of a ship. Uh, no. <laughs> no. But, well, in, and, and think about that. Had they... You know, had they, you know, had they realized the success of what they had there in Sydney, you know, and again, I don't, you know, they were not looking at a national competition at that point in time. The VFL was not looking to, to morph into the AFL in 1903, but, you know, if in a, in a parallel universe, if that was the case, you could have, you, you know, you could still have South Melbourne in Victoria and you could have a whole separate, you know, Sydney club, you know, the, 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 I don't know, the, the, the Sydney opera houses, I'm not sure what they would call them, but they, you know, they could, you know, the, the Sydney bridges, you know, cause they got some fancy bridges in Sydney, you know, that maybe they would have gotten a toehold in Sydney, uh, you know, 80 years earlier. And another um, potential development just 11 years later in 1914, uh, in that particular season, the um, football authorities decided to have a football carnival to be played in Sydney, where mm -hmm. each state of Australia and also New Zealand, out of interest, took part in uh, – oh, sorry, New Zealand didn't compete in that one. It was the earlier one. Forget about that part of it. But uh, so the states of Australia each sent a team up to Sydney to compete in this football carnival. And while that was in progress over a period of a couple of weeks, the rugby league authorities and the Australian football authorities met on several occasions discussing the possibility of amalgamating the two codes, rugby hmm. league and Australian football. And it got a fair way down the track where uh, it uh, it almost happened, but at wow. the last moment it, uh, it didn't go ahead. So that's... That, um, that would have been... Yeah, you know, we talked a little bit about the Austis game, you know, off off air before we started recording. But that would have been uh, that would have been interesting because you know I I, I would love to you know, if there's information out there in terms of what proposals they had made in terms of how they were going to tweak the tweak the rules. But that would have been fascinating to read about that and see what they what the plans were for it in terms of how they were going to structure the game. I'll make sure that you get the information on that. We've got oh, quite a wow. lot. Mm. Terrific. So, uh, just in a nutshell, uh, if the game had gone, if the code had gone ahead, it would have been played on a rectangular field with goal and behind posts mm -hmm. plus a crossbar. 
uh, that hand passing would be done away with and uh, you would be permitted to throw the ball, but you wouldn't uh, be obliged to throw it sideways or backwards. You could throw it in any direction. Okay. Uh, the tackling would be uh, according to what happens in Australian football. Um, and um, I think the team composition, I think it would have been 15 people per team, et cetera. Okay. But uh, anyway, you'll get the full details <clears throat> of that. Like, Cool. That is, that is, that's awesome. Uh, so, you know, you, you said that, you know, for like the first six or eight years that you were being taken to Cats games, you weren't really interested in the game. You were, you were the hot dogs and, and running around with your friends. And that makes, that makes sense because that sort of thing still happens today. I mean, you know, I don't, especially at, you know, like baseball stadiums here in the United States, um, you know, they, they have little areas that, you know, like little playgrounds in the, in the, in the stadiums for kids to, to go and play. I mean, I remember the first time, first few times taking my kids to the game, they saw very little of the game. They saw, you know, they they spent most of the game in the the playground that the club had set up in the in the stadium for them. So they, you know, the popcorn, the cotton candy, the you know, the hot dogs. That that was the game was was tertiary. It wasn't even secondary. They were they were more they wanted to play, and they wanted the snack food that went along with it. But it's you know, over time, you started to develop an interest in the game. You started to pay attention. Do you remember what your first your first memory of the of the game that wasn't running around or wasn't the hot dog aspect. Do you remember that first memory of the game of the the of the earliest game that you went to? Yes, it was against uh, Richmond at Cadenia Park, and one of the players taking part was a fellow called Fred Ledeur, French name L E D E U X who turns out to be the maternal grandfather of Tom Hawkins. Wow. And Fred's wife, Pam, taught with me at Heighton Primary School. Uh, and uh, Pam's brother played for Geelong, probably come across the name, Brian Brushfield, who played okay. during the 1960s. And her first cousin, was another Geelong player, Terry Callum, who who sadly missed out on playing in the 1963 grand final mm -hmm. uh, because of a knee injury that is sustained just a couple of weeks before the uh, final started that year. Oh, that's So Geelong is a small town when you think about it, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's one of those things that I that you know, looking at it, you know, having been following the game now for a number of year, number of years. It's it's something that I think gives Geelong a a an interesting advantage over the other clubs in Victoria because they because they are off the beaten path. And yes, there's there you know are a few hundred thousand people in Geelong, but it is still you know kind of out of the way, much quieter than you know the the busyness of Melbourne. And and I think it's something that is it is something that is attractive to to some players and I, and I've, I've, I've argued and I, and I've made the, the, yeah, I, I've mentioned this to other people, you know, during the podcast, I said that this is something that in a way, if they ever begin to find some success, Gold Coast might be able to tap into this same kind of thing 
it's kind of off the beaten path. It's, you know, it's just down the road from, you know, from Brisbane. It's, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be a, you know, a big fish in a, in a kind of small footy pond, if you will, there, um, where you're going to have some anonymity, you know, and people, or, you know, like in Geelong, you know, that, as you said, you know, the, the family tree is, is such that, you know, so many players have, you know, are related to people who've been there before that, that, yes, running into Tom Hawkins or running into somebody else, it's, it's not that big of a deal. You know, it's, That's right. yeah, you know, it's, I, I, I have a, a real quick, I have a, 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 a mate that's a Port Adelaide supporter and he lives right near um, Port's training ground. And he goes into the same coffee shop every Monday morning. And it's been tradition that it's the same coffee shop that Kenny Hinckley goes into. And it, it yes. between the two of them, it's become tradition that on the days that Port Adelaide wins the, the weekend before, that this mate of mine buys Ken Hinckley's coffee for him. And on days where they, when they've lost, Ken Hinckley buys his coffee for him. <laughs> Isn't it's, that a delightful yeah, connection? It's, it's just, it's just, it's really just, as I said, it's, it's something that we could learn from here. And, and it's even like with the local footy, you know, yes, we have high school sports here, but we don't have that, that, Footy club or a, a sport of any kind that it you know is basically from you know now os kick up through you know the senior level you know the colts and seniors and that sort of thing and now the 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 girls playing as well that is the hub around which the wheel of that community rotates you know those small those small country towns and such that club is it's the focus of the, of that community it's it's the pride and joy of that community and talk. Along that theme, have you heard the um, hilarious story about Joel Selwood about midnight after last year's grand final? Uh, I, where... I, I don't think I have, huh? Okay. So as you know, he had a highly memorable day, grand final yes, day. Yes, he did with that wonderful gesture with Gary Ablett's young son mm -hmm. before the match and with the, the water boy, Sam, after the match, letting Joel letting him put the premiership medallion around his neck. Right, right. And as you would uh, appreciate, the players and officials um, celebrated um, well into the night after the grand final, uh, firstly at the MCG and then going back to Geelong to Cadinia Park to celebrate further there mm -hmm. and Joel being a very controlled person only had two beers during the whole of the celebrations and was in a fit state to drive home to Barwon Heads just out of Geelong so he headed off and uh, arrived at Barwon Heads around about 12.30am um, um, okay. um, early in the morning and he reached a, um, a service station and he thought to himself, this service station serves very good food. I've hardly eaten today. I've had a really hectic day. Yes, he has. <laughs> I, I think I'll stop and um, I'll grab something to eat before I um, uh, um, go to bed. Mm -hmm. So he, he got out of his car, closed the door of his car and suddenly realised he oh, locked no. himself out of his car. Oh, no. And he's thinking to himself, well, I've got a spare key, but it's at home. Mm -hmm. If I walk home, it'll take me half an hour, another half hour to walk back because my wife's not home. Um, 
I wonder if I can ask someone in the service station if they could do me a favour. So I walked in and there was just a handful of customers there. So in a rather embarrassed way, he sort of said, well, look, I've done something silly here. I've locked myself out of my car. Does anyone live in, and he described the area of Bowen Heads where he lived, and this lady put her hand up and said, uh, yes, I live quite close to that. And she obviously didn't recognise who was asking the question. Okay. She didn't realise it was Joel Selwood. Wow. So um, she was a bit hesitant because she didn't sort of know this fellow. Yeah. And the, the the service station manager was in the background and he sort of said, oh, yeah, that'll be okay. I know this bloke. Yeah, that's fine. So she decided she'd drive him home to get his key and then drive him back. So on the way, they're driving along. And uh, to be polite to Joel, without knowing who he was, she said, um, what sort of a day have you had? <laughs> and he said, quite good, thank you. Oh, where were you working? At the MCG. Oh, she said, I know, I know who you are. <laughs> But the funny part was that before that happened, Joel said to her, what sort of a day have you had uh-huh. before she before she recognised him? And she said, oh, terrible. She said, I've been working in the Barwon Heads Hotel as a waitress and it's been hectic, you know, the grand final today. Mm-hmm. I didn't get a lunch break. I've only just knocked off. I'm exhausted. I didn't even get to see any of the grand final before she realised wow. it was Joel. Wow. <laughs> Because well, so anyway, so. I saw somebody, and I don't remember who it was that that, and I don't remember if it was the cats or not. I think it was the cats though that had you know showed back up like the next day, still in uniform, you know, still wearing yes. the uniform, you know, the, still the jumper and the boots on, and was wearing the medallion and such, and just you know. And I guess when you when you're when you've won that you certainly want to embrace that it's just and 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 relish in that because you know i i when i was looking at you know your your streak because you know you you attended if i read the number correctly 1294 consecutive cats games yes which is which is amazing and 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 that that streak would not have ended had covid not taken place correct so do you do you give yourself a pass on that because you know it wasn't that you we're not wanting to go to the game, but you know, the governments were basically saying you could not attend. Did you put a little asterisk there as, as being the historian and the statistician saying, okay, I'm not going to really count these games when they went into the hubs. I still go to all of them. Okay. Uh, but, uh, no, no, that hasn't occurred to me so much. Okay. Uh, I've, um, I've missed a, a couple of matches since. Okay. Uh, it's uh, normal operations resumed, uh, but that was sort of through illness and different mm-hmm. things like that. But uh, I know I'm proud of my streak, but uh, I'm, I'm certainly not uh, trying to uh, say that uh, those other matches don't count in the streak. Well, and, and what's interesting is that that, that first year of, of your streak, they win the grand final. And and do, and you, think, is- do you think to yourself, go ahead, I'll, I'll, I'll ask my follow-up and... Okay. Now, I don't know whether you know the circumstances of me missing round 10, 1963, due to illness. Uh, that was when Geelong played Fitzroy mm-hmm. at the old Brunswick Street Oval in Melbourne. And I remember uh, being in bed, ill, 
listening to the radio description of the match. But what was, what was remarkable is that Geelong was beaten by Fitzroy that day, which turned out to be Fitzroy's only win for two years. Wow. Spread over 1963 and 64. And the talk was at that stage of the season, Geelong has no hope of winning the premiership after being mm. beaten by the wooden spooner, that um, uh, they'll be lucky to make the finals. Mm. But of course, uh, of course, as it unfolded, uh, they recovered and went on to win the flag. No, but, you know, so they win it. Are you thinking to yourself, okay, I've got something good going here. You know, we won it this year. We're going to come back and win it again. And it's not until, what was it, uh, 2007 that they won another one? Correct. Yeah, so we're talking about like 40, 44 years between between premierships there. Did you did you ever think to yourself or did anybody ever say to you, why are you going to the footy every week? They're not winning anything. Yes, that's true. However, <laughs> um, I lived through probably the most enter entertaining era mm -hmm. in the club's history without a premiership. Mm -hmm. uh, say from um, when Malcolm Blight started coaching Geelong in 1989. They finished up uh, losing the grand final in an exciting match against um, Hawthorne in that season and then subsequently playing in several other grand finals in a short space of time. But the style of football that they played during that era was just amazing, mm -hmm. um, inspired by Gary Ublett Sr., who uh, was at the peak of his form at that stage. Well, and it's it's funny you mention his name because as I as I'd spoken to you before we started recording, when I when I talked to Barry Cheatley and he said, you know, I know, you know, I know, you know, let me know who you want to talk to, that sort of thing. I said, well, you know, because I said, you know, he kind of alluded, he said, well, who's your white whale? You know, with the, you know, the Moby Dick reference. And I said, well, I would love to, you know, talk to, as you just mentioned, you know, Gary Ablett Sr. He said, okay, who else would you like to talk to? <laughs> <laughs> which, which, you know, and again, I, I know that's not going to happen, not going to happen, but I would, you know, would love the, you know, the opportunity to, you know, to talk to him, to talk to his son, you know, and I've not tried to reach out to, to his son either, but it's, you know, I'm, I've started to, you know, kind of find a bit of a niche, you know, doing this because I, I, you know, I, I do like the preview episodes and I'll talk about the games as they've been played, but, but I'm, I'm never going to be so bold as to say that, you know, here I've only been following the game for six and six or seven years. And that I, I know more about the game than, than, you know, people who have grown up the game and with the game and have spent 40 years or 50 years following the game. I, I don't want to insult their intelligence by t trying to, you know, tell them, well, I know more about your game because I don't. But I, what I what I do like doing is having conversations like you and I are having right here, where we, we you know we get to peel things back a little bit and learn stuff about people, and they and they get to tell fascinating and fun stories that other people maybe haven't heard. That's that's the thing that I I I think that people who listen to the podcast really enjoy, and hopefully the people that come on enjoy doing that as well. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh it's just. I love doing this. I mean, I actually talk to more people in Australia than I do that live on my own street. <laughs> there we go. I really, I really do. I really, really do. It it's is. it's amazing. So you've, you know, you, you've been a statistician. You know, what do you, what do you think, um, you know, as somebody who has studied the numbers and compiled the numbers, what do you think is the most unappreciated statistic in footy? And what's the most misunderstood stat in footy? Well, I'll start with the latter. I think the most under, 
uh, misunderstood stat or overestimated one is number of disposals by players mm-hmm. uh, where um, there's an assumption, oh, well, because someone has had 40 touches, they must be among the best players on the field. Uh, but that um, isn't necessarily the case where you can have people who waste the ball or um, uh, just uh, don't get uh, don't put the ball to advantage. And um, as far as the most important one, <laughs> I think you'd have to say um, goals scored. Well, yeah. The goals win matches. Yeah, but, uh, but, but is, um, is there one you think is underappreciated that people don't, you know, that to, to learn, you know, because as you said, you know, d- disposals don't necessarily tell you if it, if this person is a, is a great player or not, but is there, is there a stat that would maybe reinforce just how good a player who doesn't necessarily get the credit that they should be getting? Yes, probably a good example is current player, Brian Myers, number 32, mm-hmm. who has a most unusual kicking style. Yes, he does. How he kicks the ball around the corner. Mm-hmm. And he currently leads the competition for season 2023 for score assists and, in mm-hmm. particular, goal assists. But I think that's quite an important uh, role or, or uh, feature of stats, particularly of uh, someone playing on the forward line. Right, right. And, of course, Tommy Hawkins features very prominently with that stat too. I was speaking to his grandmother recently, and this is Pam Ledeur, and she said, well, even though he's my grandson, I feel his value to the team is being underestimated by people. They only look at how many goals he kicks. They don't look at how many goals he passes on to teammates or well, goal opportunities he well, passes on to team. It, it that's it's funny you mentioned that because I I think that you know that the the cat's forward structure is one of the most selfless forward structures in the comp. They they are not afraid to give the ball up to a te- to a teammate who's in a better position to kick a goal. Absolutely. Yeah. And that that is that I think is something that uh, you know I I've I've spoken to, to people who are um Melbourne supporters about, you know, and I'm just going to mention the player by name Bailey Fritch who is who who is kind of like a black hole when it you know if he gets the ball inside 50 nobody else is going to get it unless they're picking it up to kick it in if you know if it's gone out on the full or if it's been kicked as a behind but otherwise if it's inside 50 he's probably going to be kicking it at the goal yes yeah yes that's true <laughs> so i i would guess his his number of goal assists are rather small yeah <laughs> they they are yeah so you know throughout your your career what has been the most rewarding thing that that you have that you got from working with the VFL AFL, what was the most, what was the most rewarding thing for you? I think it's uh, making or maintaining contact with players of the past Mm -hmm. and families of the players of the past. It's amazing uh, how much um, uh, value I place on, um, on learning about those identities. A good example is currently at the AFL, we have two people who've been working in um, on the same project, 
uh, say, the feasibility of Tasmania coming into the competition mm -hmm. and um, a number of other associated projects. Their respective names um, are uh, Sam Graham. You'd be familiar with his brother, Ben. Mm-hmm. Heard that name. Who uh, yep. obviously played for the Cats and also mm -hmm. played American football. Uh, so Sam um, is one employee, and uh, the other one is um, is uh, David. I've got to stop and think. Of it. David Grosman is his name. Okay. Now, Sam and Ben's grandfather, Jack Graham, was a great old South Melbourne player from the nineteen thirties and forties. And he had similar kicking ability to Ben, could kick the ball 70 or 80 metres. Mm -hmm. And David um, Grosman's grandfather, Don Grosman, was a teammate of Jack Graham at South Melbourne and played wow. close to 100 matches together. Wow. So it's amazing how you've got that pair of AFL employees mm -hmm. who work in the same department whose grandfathers were great teammates and friends. And just came together by chance. That that is that is that's it's amazing, and and it it is a it is a very close, tight knit community in footy. You know, it, because you know you have a lot of people who, you know, that have you know, have played the game that that go on to other roles. You know, whether it be in coaching, whether it be working at you know AFL house, that type of thing. It's you know that that it's. Uh, that they're helping to keep this this you know this wonderful game, and I think it's I think it's the greatest game on the planet, quite frankly. I think it's I think it's superior to our code of football here in the United States. I, I really do. Now I still, like I said, as I told you, I still watch the Cleveland Browns play each week, but I don't spend the rest of the day watching the other fourteen or fifteen NFL games that are going on. They don't they don't interest me. Yes. But I but I watch I watch every game of the AFL every week. I I know I have to okay. I've not watched Melbourne and Collingwood from this morning. I I will watch that one tomorrow before I go to work. I do know the result of it though. Another fascinating um, little fact: uh, you'd be aware of um, uh, of Ed Richards, the redheaded boy who plays from for the Bulldogs. The Bulldogs, yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. His grandfather was Ron Richards, a very good Collingwood player of the nineteen fifties. Okay brother of Lou Richards, one of the famous football identities. You've probably, you'd be aware of Lou, uh, not uh, not only in his role as a very good Collingwood player, but also as a high-profile media person for many, many years. Uh, so, um, so it is related to them. And I don't know if you've ever heard of the Panham family, who were yeah. closely associated with Collingwood back many, many years earlier going that, right back to the not, 1890s. That's not what I'm familiar so, with, huh? So, so you've got that dynasty that's, that goes back 130 years, and Ed Richards is still carrying on that tradition. So was he not, uh, as, far, as far as father-son thing, it, it's not, it wouldn't be grandfather or grandson then? No, I think okay. Ed was hoping it was going to be, yeah. but I think he's happy playing for the Bulldogs. And he's a little dinged up right now, if I'm not mistaken. He missed. I don't think he's played the last couple of weeks. Yes, a just, dreaded hamstring injury. Yes, yeah. He he was he was on my fantasy team, so I I've had to replace him on there. Um, 
But I did have Tex Walker on my team last week, so that worked out pretty well. Oh, that worked yes. out very well. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> so before we wrap up, I, ha- I had, you know, I had one more footy-related question then a couple of other uh, ones. And again, you've watched, you know, well over 13, 1400 games in person. Um, what is maybe the the greatest performance that you saw from a player in person in your lifetime? What's, what's that thing that you just, you're never going to forget about that particular game with that particular player? It would have to be Gary Ablett Sr. Playing against Richmond at the MCG um, during the, um, uh, the early 90s when he played the first quarter and a bit as a wingman mm-hmm. and finished the game with 14 goals. Wow. So, so as I say, he played as, if you like, a midfielder mm-hmm. for um, 30% of the game, yet still finished with 14 goals. And didn't he, didn't he start out his career playing in defence? Uh, not so much defence, but more as a more as a wingman half forward. Okay. Mm. Okay. Uh, so I think was, that's he, he was with Hawthorne for a year or two, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't he? Early on, yes, he was. Yes, and didn't like the city life in Melbourne, and then started playing country football in mm-hmm. northeastern Victoria, and uh, the Myrtleford Football Club was where that was, and the Myrtleford Football Coach had played briefly with Geelong a few years earlier, a fellow mm-hmm. called Greg Nichols, and he recommended that Geelong should have another look at him. Uh, and so they, they pers- he signed with the Cats, and uh, the rest is history. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So, all right, the last couple of things I, I, I have for you, but uh, what are you most proud of in your life? You know, you, you, you've done a lot of absolutely wonderful things. What is that one thing that, well, well, you may not actually, you're, I don't think you're the kind of person that's, that would ever go out and say, Hey, look what I have done. But when you, when you have that, that reflective moment, when you sit down with a, with a cup of tea or, you know, and, and you're just, you know, sitting on the patio and you're just thinking about things quietly, what, what is that thing that you just think about yourself? I did that, and that was pretty awesome. I think it's the proper recording of the history of um, football at AFL level, mm-hmm. going back to um, from 1897 onwards, uh, both from a competition point of view and Geelong mm-hmm. Football Club point of view, where uh, we I've just been able to uh, coordinate uh, the recording of such information where it had never been recorded in that way previously by anyone. It's that is uh that is that's awesome. I and I'm trying I'm gonna send you an email to a, a link to a podcast that I don't know if it, and their website's not working right now. I will have to find it. But there's a there's a a couple of uh gentlemen, and I think there's a lady that's involved with it as well that does a podcast where each episode covers one year of the VFL and they're working towards the present day, but they went back and they went back and started in 1897. So they're, they're, they've probably delved into the statistics that you have put together, but they, they go through and talk about 
every season and, and dig into specific games of that season. And it, it, it's just, if you're, you know, as you being somebody who loves history of the game, um, it's fascinating the amount of work that they have done to prepare this. And, I, and I'm sure that they have have dug into the data that you have helped to compile in order to do this. So I don't know, I don't know if you've encountered that, but I, I'm going to find their link because their, their old website is not working right now. And I don't know what has happened to it, but I, when I find that I will email that to you, but uh, um, I'll look forward to that. Okay. One person I should, one person I should mention in um, giving me great um, assistance in compiling the information is a fellow called Stephen Rogers. I don't know whether you've seen one of his publications called Every Game Ever Played, which uh, documents quarter-by-quarter scores of every uh, match at AFL level from 1897 through to about the 1990s when the last edition was published or the most recent edition was published. And Stephen is a wizard on being able to dig up information such as players' dates of birth from long ago and uh, keeping track on players who've passed away progressively. Mm-hmm. He uh, he does a lot of work unpaid to help me in that sort of situation. Wow. I mean, it, it's, it, it is a labor of love for you, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. That is, it's, it is, it's so impressive because, you know, it's, and while I don't, while I don't want to, it sounds so wrong to think that it that that it is something that's kind of thankless. But you're you're not doing it for the publicity necessarily. You're doing it for the love of the game. And, Absolutely. And, but ha, have and and I guess I I don't know this. Have have you ever received which what I think would probably be richly deserved recognition for the yeoman's work that you have done to put all of this information in order? Uh, yes, I've received a couple of awards along those lines. One is called the um, RJ Hickey Award, which is um, awarded annually to uh, someone who's um, contributed significantly, not just mm-hmm. to um, the Geelong Football Club, but to football in general. Okay. And the other one is... Um, is the Jack Titus Award. I received, was fortunate enough to receive that a couple of years ago for general services to football, uh, named in honour of um, Jack Skinny Titus, who was a uh, long-serving teammate of Jack Dyer at Richmond. Okay. Well, that is it's 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 just fascinating, and I and I I love I love digging into the numbers, you know, and. You know, I, I one stat that 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 I've that I've noticed, and I've and I've pulled this up in in number of times when I'm asking questions of of like the the supporters from different clubs when we preview their clubs at the beginning of the season. There's a statistic that we don't have anything like this in in American sport. We don't have anything like the one percenters. Okay. We we don't we don't we don't have that, and and, and I've. And I, I've said to the people, and and I certainly want to ask you this before we we close out. Um, I've I've thought that that could, you know, if it wasn't called the one percenter, it could be called the doing the right thing stat. Yes. Okay. Because that seems like that's that that that's what it is. You know, it's it's shepherding. It's you know, it's it's you know, 
any number of different things to allow, you know, to allow your club to have success. And um, a good example of that is uh, where players deliberately lead to a particular part of the field Mm -hmm. and call for the ball to, um, uh, to make their direct opponent feel obliged to follow them Mm-hmm. to try to prevent them from getting the ball with the player himself knowing that the ball's not going to be kicked to him, but he's opened up space behind him. For somebody else to come in. someone else to lead into. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's a, a good example of that. That's a, that's a great point. That is a great point. Well, sir. Where they might be exhausted. Oh, yeah. Where they might be exhausted and just um, had nearly all the steam taken out of them, but they've found that, little bit of um, adrenaline to just force themselves to do it Mm -hmm. it is it is it's fascinating and like i said i i i I can't thank you enough for the work that you have done to put this data together because it you know i do dive in and look back you know especially you know you mentioned the uh the 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 log um and i'm drawing a blank on the name of it right now i mean i have it uh the uh the afl tables um which are just you know something that i i jump into quite a bit because i i do want to go back and and read up on you know as much as i as much as i can i I may never watch the games but i can at least see the numbers from some of these people you know that 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 you've talked about and i can and i can go back and, and learn more about for example, you know, a Barry Cheatley and see how he performed in different games and that sort of thing. Now, of course, there's, you know, no, no record there, of you know, coaches getting, you know, punched in the nose, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> but it is, but, uh, you know, there's also no record of, you know, of him, you know, bringing elephants to the grounds also, which I remember he told, I remember him telling me that during our conversation last year. Uh, but, uh, I can't thank you enough, sir, for taking time out of your afternoon to sit down and chat. This has been, thoroughly delightful and and i hope those of you who are listening have learned something more about the game and 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 appreciate the effort that that you and and also mr rogers um have uh have put forth to try to ensure that the that the the legacy of the game is as accurate as it can possibly be and thank and, you Craig. and I, I i tip my cap to you sir for that because it is it's it's absolutely awesome that you have done that thank you very much i appreciate that and ladies and gentlemen my my guest has been cole hutchinson and sir this has been an absolute pleasure and and again i cannot thank you enough sir and uh i hope you have an absolutely wonderful wonderful afternoon and enjoy the forthcoming match over in adelaide I I'm, I absolutely will do that. It's it's uh, it's going to be a heck of a match. I I will tell you though, if I was starting a club, and yeah, they said, well, you're allowed to take like you know, three players from you know one club's forward line, three players from another club's defensive structure, and three players from a club's midfield to start your club. I'm going to Port Adelaide, and I'm taking Butters, Rosie, and Horn Francis for my midfield. I mean, I I just I yeah. And if I and if I can't get them, I'm probably going to Gold Coast to go get Anderson, Rowell, and Tuke Miller. That's a pretty I, good trio too. Yes, they, they it's yeah, it is. And uh, 
So any before you any predictions on the rest of the year? What are the Cats playing finals this year? I think it will all depend on what happens this week against Port Adelaide. But if they can win, I'm optimistic that they can uh, get to the finals and uh, hopefully they're at the peak of their form at that stage and you never know what might happen. Well, we saw that we saw that happen last year. So and, uh, you know, and again, they had, you know, they basically had to, you know, run the, the run the gauntlet on the road, even though they were the number one, you know, club. They won the minor premiership, you know, but. uh I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, but I, but I, I think, you know, deep down and you may, you would certainly know this better than I would, would it serve the game well if Gold Coast finds their way into the eight? Exactly the same thought was just running through my mind. I okay. would certainly, uh, I would certainly uh, have them as my second team and, uh, I reckon it'd be great for the code. Yeah, I because you know they have invested so much in that club, and to finally get a a positive result, if you will, that that here is our club. You know, we we finally we finally made the eight, and I think at this point in time, who's going to want to play them? Because they they That's are right. they are pesky. You know, you've got you've got a great rock who can put the ball wherever it needs to go. You know, and and it's just it's 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 a fun club to watch play. Absolutely. Unfortunately, they got us earlier this year. So yes, they did. Uh, <laughs> yes, they did. Well, sir, you have a great great e afternoon and evening. It is about twenty minutes after one in the morning here, so I have to. I am actually getting up at about five o'clock in the morning because I'm doing another interview at I believe. 6 30 or 7 o'clock tomorrow morning uh i, 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 have, thought, I yeah. thought you'd be squeezing in a visit to a nightclub in between no, yes i'm gonna yes i'm gonna go start my, i'm gonna go work my night job at the brewery uh <laughs> no, no i'm i'm going to sleep very well tonight but uh yeah i had somebody i'm waiting to actually hear back i'm gonna check my email to see if they if they've emailed me back i'm gonna uh and he has not emailed me yet so it may not get it may not happen tomorrow but i'll set my clock i already have my clock set my coffee maker is ready to go with regular coffee not decaf um but yeah so he's we're going to be talking about he had a proposal on how to try to bring some parity the game by adjusting the salary cap based upon where you finished on the ladder the previous season oh okay it's okay. it's a it's a unique proposal that he was making, and I and I had somebody that I talked to earlier today that that also discussed the gentleman from Brazil about you know and I don't know how this would work you know doing like the uh, the European soccer leagues do and that you know like the two clubs that finish at the bottom of the ladder that they get dumped back into the VFL or the Sandful or whatever and they have to fight their way back into the league and I don't know how that would work with the with the afl because of membership and things like that i i argued with them i said you would probably have to go to having clubs with club specific owners for that sort of thing to happen because if 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 i'm a member of a club and my club gets relegated down to the vfl or the waffle or the sandful i might not invest my money in being a member of that side again which yes that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of doom Yes, it certainly would have its challenges, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. It would. But I don't want to go down that avenue too much further here. So 
I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. And Mr. Hutchinson, sir, again, I thank you so very much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Craig. Cheers. All right, Mr. Hutchinson. Thanks so very much. It was an absolute pleasure to speak with you. I, I truly enjoyed this. Uh, we could have spoken for hours if you would have been, uh, you know, willing to do that. Uh, not to say that you weren't, but I would love the opportunity to sit down and talk with you again because you have so many wonderful stories. And again, a big thank you to Barry Cheatley for helping me uh, get into contact with you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, look out for one another. Check up on your friends and family. Make sure they're okay. Take them out for that coffee. Head to Bunnings and get that snag. Get out and support some local footy if you get the opportunity to do so as well. Remember that you can find everything related to my podcast over at my website, yankonthefooty.com. You can get on the mailing list there, and I hope you do. So when a new episode comes out, you'll uh, have it in your inbox within a few minutes of when it's released. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, I do hope you'll... Uh, Leave a review there or over on Apple or Spotify. Uh, there are links right on my website, which will take you there to allow you to do that. It's a really good uh, um, tool that I can use to help encourage new listeners to check out the podcast. So if you have some time you'd want to do that, that'd be great. Again, if you want to help out the podcast, you can do that at my Redbubble store page or click on that Buy Me Coffee button over on my website as well. I can leave me a voicemail there. If you'd like to do that as well, if you've got an idea for a guest, if you'd be a great guest, if you know somebody, I would love to talk to them. Now, at the present time, my schedule is a little screwy because I'm typically working uh, my time uh, 11.30 a.m. until 10 p.m. on Wednesdays and Thursdays, which would be about 1.30 in the afternoon Thursday through... Let's see, 22 and 14, 36 till about noon on Saturday, your time. Yeah, about, no, noon on Friday, I should say, your time. Um, might be Saturday, because it's back-to-back days. And then I'm working early, like 6 a.m. my time until 2.30 in the afternoon on Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, but... Uh, Mondays and Tuesdays, my time, uh, late Sunday evenings, certainly I could sit down to do an interview. I'm trying to line up several of them. I've got, I've got a list of people that I need to get in touch with. I just have not lined some things up. I have one gentleman, uh, who I've had some great chats with online. He's got a great way to, uh, he's got a great proposal on how to deal with, uh, some of the issues with regards to making the, um, the league have a little bit more parity, giving clubs options and opportunities to become more successful more quickly. And I'm just trying to line up a time to sit down with him. Uh, he's in Adelaide. Uh, and I hope he's listening and check your email because I just emailed you again a couple days ago. But again, folks, look out for one another. Remember, you can reach me at Yank underscore on on Twitter, a Yank on the Footy podcast on Facebook, a Yank on the Footy on Instagram, Craig Wessels on LinkedIn and on Facebook as well, or at a Yank on the Footy gmail.com. I love being able to chat with you. Uh, ladies and gents, I appreciate the kind words. Those of you who reached out to, to wish me a happy birthday, thank you for that. Uh, that was wonderful. And as always, may your dribble kick never, ever hit that post. I will catch you later.
And this has been episode 273 of Yank on the Footy, my chat with Cole Hutchinson. Thanks for listening, everybody. I do hope you'll share the episode with your friends and family. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>